Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined on the Leadership File by Orlando Sayer, the Senior Pastor of Christchurch Southampton, a church that was planted uh, some years ago and is located close to the university buildings in Southampton and as such attracts a number of students. A former uh, school teacher, Orlando, author of three books, Iron Sharpens Iron, Big God and Breath of Life, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit and Following His Lead. So welcome, Orlando. Thank you. Um, and uh, you were a school teacher f- previous to being a pastor. Was that a job that you took on straight from university? Uh, not quite. Um, I was a bit of a jack-of-all-trades out of university, did this and that. I taught English as a foreign language to visiting business people for a while. I worked in a shantytown in Lima and uh, visiting a prison there as part of a charity operation there. I worked as a research assistant, actually, to one of my former university professors while I persuaded him to let me marry his daughter, uh, which was a, a successful operation in the end, so I could move on from that. And yet I did teach uh, briefly as a, as a, um, a, a, in a secondary school in Devon. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the most auspicious beginning. I, I, the uh, head of RE had left uh, very suddenly uh, with encouragement um, in embarrassing circumstances. I think that's a capital E, capital C. Uh, and I was brought in to cover his uh, load, as it were. And it, and it wasn't actually a particularly great job. I had to teach every single class from year seven to 11, one lesson per week. But it was Gracious. a compulsory non-examination subject, RE. So they, they, there was no interest in them being there. There was no benefit to them being there. And yet I still had to teach them without having the chance to build relationship with any of them so that, that was a pretty tough call that time but um, great great to have spent that time and i, I did enjoy it well that's a, it sounds like a communication nightmare but it's uh, you know interesting that you've you've had these different uh, facets to your background before coming to to pastor a church now i, I know Southampton well and of course there are many uh, churches in the city what what made you plant another church there or at least what made the, the church plant at the time i i hesitated about the timing was it 10 years ago it was just over 10 years ago. Okay. I, I mean, very interesting, yes, because uh, sometimes people um, sometimes call me the planter, but I wasn't really the planter. The church uh, had already existed for about three years before I arrived, and uh, it was really a sort of self-seeded plant, if I can use that kind of expression. A, a number of people had come together. They were studying the Bible um, week by week, and uh, after a few months of this, they had thought, well, why don't we just you know, meet on Sunday morning, call ourselves a church? We, between us, we know enough people that are not being reached for the gospel. And uh, if we worked together, we'd be in a good place to try to reach them. And so they just set themselves up. And 
they were they they started meeting uh, week by week. It was it was a slow start. They um they were led by a retired couple there, um, and I suppose inevitably didn't have somebody who was on the job full time looking after it. Me- meanwhile, I was pastoring a church in a small town in Surrey, and. Uh, uh, was an interesting it was an interesting prospect i was one of the youngest people in the church uh, just because of the demographics of the place and often as i was trying to give spiritual care to those around me i i felt that um, i had that feeling in my mind i wish i'd got my hands on x or y a little bit earlier in their life when they were 20 rather than when they were 50 when they were open to being discipled when they were up for being challenged about where god fit in their life rather than a little bit later on when it was a kind of trying to do a kind of course correction uh, when they'd already made all their life decisions so i don't i'd sometimes think oh i wonder i wonder if god will ever open up a a door to working with people who are at that stage when they haven't made all those life decisions yet and and are open for a spiritual backbone being formed into them uh, at that sort of stage of life where it's a bit more malleable, a bit more open uh, to being shaped. And then we, through various means, we were put in touch with this little group. It was only a tiny group, just a couple of dozen people meeting together in Southampton. And what attracted me to them and the ministry was um, partly that they they had a real desire to be shaped by God's word the bible they had a real desire to reach those around them and they didn't really have much else uh, and yet they still kept on meeting and kept on waiting for God to work through them and i thought you know what 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 uh, this group of people need um is perhaps in God's providence something that i could give in terms of christian leadership and uh, so we, we, we made the call to move down. It was quite a costly one because we had to bring pull our kids out of school. There was no money, so we had to raise our own support, come as missionaries, effectively. Uh, there was no house. There was no building for the church. There was no, well, there hardly any people. Um, so it seemed a little bit uh, reckless in some ways. But actually, uh, I don't have that wiring that recognizes recklessness. I, I just see... <laughs> A bigger challenge for God to solve. Well, that's great. And we came down and have been very encouraged since then. Yeah. Oh, it was fabulous to hear that story. And uh, and like you say, I think many listeners listening would, you know, leaders listening, thinking, well, yeah, a, a group of people who want to be shaped by God's word and see people one for Christ and not much else is a lovely, <laughs> sounds like a lovely environment to be working. Um, and so you obviously you, you arrived, I guess, to some extent being the first full-time person, you were able to shape the approach a little bit or or to what extent did, did the, was there a whether kind of a, a, a sort of rail track already in place well I, I mean, to be honest um uh the core of what the church was about the the values the the vision had, had already been set and happily was exactly where i would have taken things anyway uh, so the unlike many more developed churches i suppose it, it didn't have lots of things going on in church life but the things i've tried to uh, pick up from where it was and and keep central in church life is simply to well first of all make sure prayer is 
absolutely central to the life of the church. And so everything that's happened in church, we see very much um, as the results of the, the prayer meeting, the church gathering together. Uh, it was fortnight by fortnight, now month by month, and people come and they pray. And uh, that's been, I suppose, part of the heartbeat of the church. So prayer, loving each other, wanting to be a genuine Christian community where we are involved in each other's lives rather than we just say we are. And I, I suppose I've seen that where there's lots of talk of community, lots of talk about being there for each other. But to be honest, um, we're, we're, we've got enough going on in our own lives. So we, we do try to retain that sense of involvement in each other's lives. So prayer, love, uh, Bible, you know, listening to God and listening on his terms. So one of the things that we it, we have as our central point of our diet, I suppose, on, on a Sunday is expository teaching. So we, we open up the Bible. You know, where did we get to last time? Well, let's continue on this time then and see what God's going to say in this next passage of the Bible. I don't get to uh, to pick things which are my hobby horses. I, I don't get a, um, a choice about skipping things which I think are going to be too hard. If we're genuinely going to listen, genuinely going to listen to God, we simply take his word as setting the agenda week by week. And then I suppose lastly, what do, I, what do I say? Prayer, love, listening to God and the gospel. You know, we're actually being thoroughly convinced that the world around us is perishing apart from Christ, that uh, there's a desperate need for a lifeboat to be thrown out, that people need bringing you from darkness to light. And therefore we will um, engage with those around us at cost to ourselves in order to build relationships and share the gospel with them. Yeah. So I suppose they're, they're things that all of us in churches aspire to. And the way I, I guess that we've tried to keep them central is by not doing too much else. Right, no, no, sure. Well, it's lovely to hear you mention prayer as the first thing, which um, may not be the, you know, many people's first thing, although perhaps theoretically we would know that it should be the first thing. But, um, yeah, it's lovely to hear. And um, I was going to ask a bit later, but I'll ask now. You know, you... you you want to get the language about what you're doing when you gather, right? So you don't call your gathering services as such. Can you explain the rationale there? Oh, I'm um, sure. I mean, I, uh, because of the type of church that we are, maybe I'll say a bit something a bit about that a bit later on. Mm. Um, we we're we're conscious of a particular training role, and therefore a slightly higher standard, I suppose, of exactness or precision in the language that we use, just because we're, we're conscious of teaching things by that language. So, you know, you and I probably wouldn't uh, use the language of a priest for, for the guy who stands up at the front. Right. Um, because even though there is something priestly about what a minister does in some respects, uh, and actually Paul refers to um, uh, the role of ministry, you know, once in, in terms of priestly language, nevertheless, um, uh, it's quite unhelpful because the Lord Jesus is our great high priest. Yes. We don't need another priest uh, who's an individual representing us or anything like that. And I, I, we try to do the same thing across um, other uses of language, though. And service is one of them. Service is something that priests do. Um, it's an Old Testament word. It's, a, it's what you do in the sanctuary when you're a Levitical priest. It's not really something that's particularly appropriate for a New Testament gathering of believers. You can justify it. 
you could say, well, we gather when when we gather, we we're there in a one Corinthians twelve sense to serve each other with the gifts that God has given us. You can justify just about, um, but actually, when we gather in a formal sense, what that's actually often the time when not many people are serving each other. There are there are points of service going on at that time, but most of the service that goes on in church life is outside the formal gathering. Uh, and so it's just it's just what we communicate uh, and the priestly overtones of formal religion that that language of service can give off. Other cultures, I used to live in Sydney, and they just had abandoned the language of uh, service to use the word meetings. Meetings is all right. Uh, we've used the language of gathering. Um, Partly because it's it's just what the word church means. Ecclesia, church, just means a gathering. It means it's a, it was a normal secular word uh, in its original uh, context. There, it was use of the town gathering together in the town square. Uh, it just means a gathering. So we we've gone for that, and having differences of language actually gives us teaching opportunities to say, well, why do we do this? And we go back and we open the scriptures again with some of those that we're serving and, and just uh, develop that culture in church life where we're always questioning, hang on, are we imbibing things from either the culture around us or from a previous generations of Christian culture? Let's make sure that we're doing things biblically and using biblical language for biblical things. Well, you're listening to The Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Orlando Sayer. He's the Senior Pastor of Christchurch Southampton. And we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Orlando Sayer, the senior pastor of Christchurch, Southampton, a church that was planted some 10 years ago, located close to the university buildings in Southampton. We were talking before the break of how Orlando himself came some seven years ago and some of the um, values of that church, some of the things they do and get up to. Um, obviously, uh, Orlando, you're, you're there um, located somewhat close to uh, some of the university buildings there. I can um, picture it in my head. Um, so uh, what are the challenges of reaching university students and millennials uh, in that kind of sort of 18s to 25, 30 uh, age bracket? I, I mean, I, I don't want to go overboard in terms of the distinctions between them and uh, other generations. There are certain, uh, I guess, features or distinctives about the generation that perhaps do need a little bit of work. We found that. So um, there is an impatience, I think, with a sort of set of truths version of the Christian gospel that I suppose previous generations might have got away with. Uh, and we try to, um, I suppose, acknowledge that by talking more about the the story of what God's doing with the world from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to new creation, and where we fit in that story. So there are ways of engaging in a slightly different way there. There's a desire, I suppose, among many to be the center of that story. In a way, that's nothing particularly new. Uh, there are um, every generation has full of people who want to put me at the center of things, but we do. Yeah, find perhaps that's particularly um, overt in this generation, and we so we do we do pray that God will break through, uh, but also we try to model what it is uh, for Christian people to show God taking over their lives and show that's a normal thing. So one of the things we we're strong on, I guess, is to try to train believers to to be able to share their story in a natural way in a way that engages those around them 
there's a desire for relevance and um, in a very immediate way and so we try to disciple people uh, in such a way as to give them perspective uh, beyond the here and now to what God has been doing and what God will be doing. Maybe the biggest one is actually none of those intellectual things or the way that people think, but it's, it's just the reality that so many lives are messed up at an already young age. Those who've come from extraordinarily difficult family backgrounds it seems to be the, the norm rather than the exception. And so we want to make sure that church is a safe and welcoming and attractive community. So I, I guess those are some of the things. But the reality is I, I think that for generations, the thing that has drawn people into the Christian church is the warmth of personal relationship. And I think that's exactly the same now, wanting to make sure we um, can offer the love of Jesus and the companionship of somebody who loves them and therefore adorn the gospel through that investment in relationship. Uh, and you have a, a large number of associates, as you call them. Um, perhaps you could explain that kind of approach. Yeah, we do. I mean, th- these are those who've uh, largely stayed on for a couple of years after graduating as students. And that's part we see taking them on onto, as full-time staff members uh, as partly just an investment in their discipleship. Uh, we still feel we've got lots of work to do in terms of shaping and allowing God to um, mould um, the character of those who come on board that programme. Partly also in terms of training. We're, we're longing for them to, be, to um, make progress in their competence and their ability to serve wherever they're going to serve for their life. Um, but also... I suppose as an act of generosity, we don't, you know, we're a young church, we're not a particularly rich church, we, we can't support the, the growth of the gospel elsewhere in the country, elsewhere in the world massively in terms of finances, but we do want to be generous in a, um, in, in a gospel way. And so rather than giving lots of money, what we try to do is give well-trained young people who are ready to uh, take the ball and, and run with it in terms of being the very best pastors, evangelists, women's workers, children's workers, whatever it is, in the context that God puts them um, after they leave us. Yeah. Uh, and you've seen some encouraging growth, so uh, things things seem to be working well. What what do you, uh, obviously, uh, aside from the Holy Spirit's work, um, the particular things you think, yeah, we, we seem to be doing that well? I mean, you're right, it has grown uh, astonishingly quickly, happily for us, because otherwise, if it was just moderately quickly, we'd have probably patted ourselves on the back in an un- unseemly way. Uh, the, the, the way things have developed, we know it can only be God. <laughs> it's a good encouragement to, to, to us. I, I, we're always looking for the golden bullet, aren't we? We're always trying to find what's the thing that we can latch on to. Uh, what's the what's the event that we can put on, or, or the programme, or the activity, or whatever it is. Uh, I... I don't know what it is particularly i know what we we seek to do and i th- think i can in some way link some of those things to to, to to an element of growth so we try to be clear rather than be live in the world of grays and shilly shouting about the truth and apologizing for things that we actually believe that the bible says we just say what the bible says and allow um the spirit and our 
own lives to be the means of giving credibility to those things rather than compromising them or, or going light on things that we, we're slightly embarrassed about. Mm. The clarity, I mentioned community earlier on, wanting to be a place where people are drawn into. There are people coming and going quite a lot around us here in Southampton, in particular our, our area of Southampton. And so to be a strong and stable community, to, call, <laughs> to coin a phrase, um, is something that we try to do. I think a common purpose our membership course, which we get everyone to do when they start. We, we, we don't simply say, well, this is what we're about as a church. We actually use it as a training opportunity. Let's all, are we all on board with this? Uh, it, let, let's try to make sure that we all do know how to you know, share our story, uh, to articulate the gospel or, or whatever it is. Let, let's all own the task of the church individually rather than leave it to the, to the guy at the front or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, maybe one more, I think, is is we've really tried to do a deep work in a few. So this one-to-one um, -one discipleship of individuals, we, we offer to any student or others um, who wants an older Christian or a more mature Christian to meet up with them and read the Bible with them, pray with them every week. We offer that opportunity. That's, that's difficult to organize, and there's dozens and dozens of people doing it. But I think that equips people um, to grow in their faith and develop confidence quickly in their faith. And that in turn leads to them becoming a disciple maker rather than just a disciple, yeah. maybe. No, splendid. Um, and just to mention, as we briefly are an author as well, uh, three books, Iron Shipens Iron, uh, Big God, and Breath of Life, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit and Following His Lead. That, that last one particularly... Um, Obviously, the Holy Spirit's ministry has been particularly key in the last few decades of the church, some, continues to be something uh, sadly controversial. Uh, your particular reason for addressing that topic? Uh, yes. I mean, I part of the concern that I had um, in addressing that topic, it was originally talks and went into a book in the end, so as, as often happens, was just hearing... Um, what seemed to me, and this is just maybe my my insight, my my, my prejudice or something, like that, hearing the spirit in a sense dishonoured by being pressed into service by um, well-meaning Christians who who wanted to claim him for their particular style of doing things. So, for example, a, a group of Christians who loves doing things in a in an informal way or a spontaneous way, as and they say, well, hang on. We're, we're led by the Spirit here. And I want to open the Bible and say, well, it, it, hang on, is that what led by the Spirit means by the Bible? That, in the Bible, that's a Bible phrase you are co-opting there. I don't think it means anything to do with informal or spontaneous. Or um, another group of Christians that says, well, you know, we, we're, we like to be emotional and expressive here. We, we talk about being filled with the Spirit. And I think if you open the Bible and see what Paul means by that phrase, filled with the Spirit, you find it means nothing remotely connected with uh, being emotional or expressive. It means something very specific. So a number of ways in which um, w w people have claimed the Spirit for a style and so uh, kind of dishonored him, I think. Even actually putting him in the center of the spotlight, I don't think is honoring the Spirit. So the Spirit 
is the one whose role seems, as you read the tenor of the New Testament, to want to shine the spotlight onto Jesus. Um, I've sometimes compared the spirit to to the tech guy in a theatre. <laughs> you know, the guy whose job is to make sure that the uh, that the, uh, the 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 actor on stage is 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 mic'd up, amped up, and and has a light shining on him. And I think that's what the spirit's role is fundamentally to to mic up, to amp up the voice of Jesus to the world, and. Uh, to make sure the spotlight is on him so that everyone can see him across the generations, across history, across the world. People who couldn't see him in person 2,000 years ago, but they can see him now, thanks to the Spirit's work. So with some of those issues were going on in my mind uh, as, I, as I kicked off writing that book. Wonderful. Well, sadly, times defeat us, but you can... Um, obviously, the, the Breath of Life is a, a book published by... Christian Focus. Christian published by Christian Focus, so you can get copies of that. So, Orlando, sadly, as I say, time has defeated us, but um, great, to, great to chat with you. Thank you for sharing a little bit about your story and also uh, how the church has uh, developed. And uh, this will be encouragement to, to many wherever uh, they're serving or leading to, uh, to look to God for similar growth. So thank you so much. You'll be listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Orlando Sayer, the senior pastor of Christchurch Southampton. Go to uh, Premier's website and find archive recordings of the Leadership File. Go to Premier's shop and you'll find a, a copy of my book, The Leadership Road Less Travelled, which uh, particularly looks at um, themes that are from folk that I've chatted with who've taught me about leadership over the years. So I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.